<laughs> uh, are you are you rolling? Are you good? Yeah, uh, yeah, I am recording right now. All right. Ooh, yeah. Wait, did that pick up? Let's see here. Let me make sure that went through. Yeah, there we go. Cool. It's Ringo's 50th side one. Three, two, one. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. TJ, man, we experienced thunder snow. Ah, you've been mandatory at professional sports events. <laughs> Uh, yes, we did. It's it's one of those things because the world is changing now, Tony. There's no such thing as a blizzard anymore. Everything's like uh, thunder snow. It's kind of warm, but we're all in trouble nightmare. Yeah, it's a big event. I'm so excited. I can't wait for the the really big show. It's coming. <laughs> the apocalypse. <laughs> it's coming. No, slowly. Probably not in our lifetime. But uh, you young kids, you have a lot to look forward to. No, I don't want to say that. <laughs> For all you young pitchers out there, it's the end of the world as we know it. Can I have some time alone? Yes, to work on not being so nasally stiped. Well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast here in this wintry month, January 2024. How's your 24 so far, man? Uh, it was good till I violated my one resolution, and that's to be nicer to REM in 24. So I'd like <laughs> to start. I'd like to start by saying, Mike Mills, I think you're a great mid-level bassist. <laughs> Wow, it's like I could see the pores on the back of your hand with that compliment. That was such. <laughs> That's unfair. Mike Mills is a great bassist, actually. I just felt like being a little bit obnoxious, and I succeeded. But back to Michael Stipe. Oh, the Beatles mean nothing to you? Then why are you covering Number Nine Dream for the tribute to Darfur guy? Also, it's not a tribute. <laughs> not what the album is. Well, I, man, I have been, uh, I've been holed up inside. I've been sick as a dog. So I've been reading, I've been catching up. I've been reading. I'm almost done with the living, the Beatles legend, Mal Evans book, Kenneth Womack. It's really good. It's really sad. It's a bummer, but it's good. It's good stuff. That's great. I've not read it yet. I'd love to hear a full book review when you're done with it. Yeah, I would love to devote yeah an episode to him because he was integral to the whole thing. Kind of an unsung hero. Obviously not a perfect man either. He's got his demons and his, uh, his other stuff too, so it's wild. Well, we can say that even though he had his demons, he was no devil woman. Although <laughs> you and me, babe, are going to talk about a song that Mal Evans had an anvil in. Or a hand in, if you will. Because today's episode is on the great, arguably best solo Beatles album of 73. Ringo! Ringo, Ringo. Ringo, Ringo. Ringo, Ringo. Wow, that's a huge declaration. The best Beatles solo album asterisk of 1973 yeah I, I said maybe the best it's worth considering that it's the most flawless solo beatles album of 1973 <laughs> wait hold on so you think it's better than uh, living in the material world maybe maybe you're, i know you're saying maybe okay yeah. but the, but also band on the runs in there too maybe 
and Mind Games. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, Beetle fan Tony leaves out the biggest album of the year. Thank the you. The damn Live and Let Die soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> the George Martin Orchestra on United Artists Records. Or maybe it's Liberty. I'm not sure. But that, that album, that's a solo Beatles album, right? <laughs> I've never counted it as one, but why not? You've got to collect them all. And if you're bored, you've got to get one more. All right. I'll rebuy the 180 gram Live and Let Die soundtrack. Yeah, man. Okay. I mean, that's pretty bold. That's a bold accusation. Accusation. <laughs> that's a bold declaration. And, um, you know, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I, I do hear you say maybe. I think it's a great album. I do think it's Ringo's best solo album. Hey, fuck you. Time takes time. We didn't have the time to think things over. That's Rush, right? <laughs> that's Rush with Amy Mann. <laughs> No, no, that's Cindy Lauper. I'm sorry, Cindy Lauper. Same thing. It's a Paula Abdul song, Rush, Rush. Well, all right. Well, today we're going to cover side one of this album, self-titled, at least first name self-titled, Ringo. No exclamation point. I think there should be an exclamation point, don't you? It feels like it. Yeah, I think because of the star and the back cover over the eye, it almost mm. feels exclamatory. There you go. Yeah, it does. You're right. And that, there you go. Uh, for you, all you kids listening at home, that was the first emoji right there on the Ringo Starr album. <laughs> Ring, it said star over Ringo with a little devil pig. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we'll save all that artwork and packaging talk for our side two episode. That's a teaser, TJ. Artwork and packaging <laughs> next week. For all you packaging queens out there. <laughs> hey, packaging queen. Are you also a Caribbean queen? <laughs> This is his third solo album, Sentimental Journey and Boku of Blues are his first two, comprised of pre-rock and roll standards and then country music on Boku. What's your favorite Sentimental Journey? Mine's either Lights or Open Arms. <laughs> <laughs> so... We Yanks here in the U.S., we got to hear this record first, USA, USA, <laughs> November 2nd, 1973. Yeah, we're a little late, TJ, in celebrating its 50th anniversary, but better late than never. November 9th in the U.K. it was released, so the following week. Uh, reached number seven in the U.K., number two on Billboard, but number one in Cashbox and Record World. I'm sure you knew that, TJ. I did. Uh, thanks yeah. to the Mark Walgren book, I know that what held it back was the Elton John Goodbye Yellow Brick Road album. Yeah. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Hate you, Elton. That's <laughs> why when they both played on Cloud Nine, it was difficult. I <laughs> think <laughs> 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 uh, also, hey, I never want to leave Canada out. It went to number one in Canada. So there you go. 
up north. Thank oh, you. you mean Little America. <laughs> yeah, all right. If I needed money, I wouldn't be going to Canada. <laughs> you don't like Just our money? Just having fun, brother. <laughs> yeah, this is recorded variously around L.A. and then in London for a certain track that we'll get to on side two. Mm-hmm. Paul's track, <laughs> obviously. The masterpiece of the album. I tell you what, man. I like. I'm, yeah, I'll. De- I'm gonna. I'm gonna defend that one. I like. That Me one. too. We're yeah. gonna be. Yeah. We're gonna have to. <laughs> right. uh, we're gonna have to ogle over it. Ogle over it. Oogle over it. Uh, but I don't know the word. Ogle. Ogle. Uh, Either. Both. I think it's both. I think you. Okay. I think you get two on that one. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's not like mamunia or anything. <laughs> Mamonia. Uh. I think you're wrong. There's been a. <laughs> There's been a great discussion on our Discord. Oh, by the way, like and subscribe, write us a review, join our Patreon. You get on the Discord and you can uh, you can make fun of the way we pronounce things. People who know <laughs> that Beatles VI is Beatles VI call Mamunia Mamonia. <laughs> yeah, that listener in particular also said he called it Beatles VI when he was five. I mean, V years old. <laughs> Yeah, it's VI when you're V and VI when you're VX. <laughs> you're going to be L pretty soon, brother. Uh, L, yeah, I know. I'm going to be 50 pretty soon. And all I want are people just to send me jelly babies and throw them at me when I'm on stage. Yeah, whip them at you and get them all caught in the Beatles gear. And Mal well, has no. to clean them out for hours after every show. <laughs> when, next time I'm playing piano at Chicago Magic Lounge and people start throwing jelly beans my way, I'll know we have friends of the program there. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. Because uh, jelly bean traveling about 50 mile an hour through the air. If it hits you in the eye, well, you're finished. You know, you're blind, aren't you? So we've, you know, we've never liked people Stuff like that. Uh, well, man, this record, it was produced by Richard Perry, who was on a hot streak, man. He had just done the uh, Nilsson Schmilson record, which uh, had a big number one with Without You on there. Uh, before that, he did one of my favorite Captain Beefheart records, the first one, Safe as Milk. He did God Bless Tiny Tim. He did do Sentimental Journey, so he's worked with Ringo before. Yeah. Streisand, Carly Simon. He also recorded that group Fanny, the All Gals, and they cover Hey Bulldog. Have we dropped them on the show before? I don't know if I've heard of Fanny. They're cool, man. There's there's a whole... Um, no, I don't think we have dropped them before. There's a great live performance. It's all raw footage. One of those things where they're playing behind a green screen, like 1971 or something like that. And they just leave it all raw. You can hear them talking between songs and stuff. It's cool. They were all girls and they were all American. Fanny was the first all-woman rock band that could really play and really get some credibility within the musician community. So we broke through that barrier, and it wasn't through talking. We just fucking did it. Yeah, 
Yeah, man, these sessions came together kind of organically from what I understand. Ringo did some drumming on Nilsson Schmilson. And then it just happened to be like, hey, Richard Perry's like, you know those singles you do that are doing really well? Let's do an album of those instead of, you know, country music. <laughs> it's like your mother's music. <laughs> well, and referring specifically, it Don't Come Easy was a huge smash hit. Definitely. Yeah, it's a great song, too. Yeah, that one still holds up. And then, yeah, back off Boogaloo. So he's doing well. He's he's charting. It was just like, okay, well, I'll be in L.A. I think they tried. They were thinking about Nashville. Ringo had been down there to accept a, an award. And then it ended up, it was just going to be easier in L.A. And yeah, man. So Klaus Vorman's down there. Nicky Hopkins. Harry Nilsson. Jim Keltner. Some guys from the band drop in. Mark Boland from T-Rex plays on this. James Booker on piano, Larry Nechtel also, uncredited. He's one of those Wrecking Crew guys. He was in Bread, Pet Sounds, Elvis, The Doors. He played bass on the first Doors record. Like, Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, man. That, that guy was cool, man. That guy was cool. He plays on this uncredited. Who am I leaving out that played Steve on this? Steve Cropper's on here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. In one of the more understated ballads on the record. <laughs> Yeah, Steve Cropper from uh, Stax Music, the the house guys that played on all those Otis <laughs> Yeah, records. or the Blues Brothers soundtrack. Uh. <laughs> now, who else am I leaving out, though, TJ? Who else played on this record? Uh, There's one guy who was in a band. It rhymes with a story, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Quarrymen. Oh, John Lennon. Yeah, John Lennon played on this record. Yeah. Who else? Who else? It's another guy, <laughs> Paul McCartney. Oh, that's right. He played on it, too. Gary Doglitch. <laughs> and there's one more guy I'm forgetting. Uh, uh, <laughs> George Harrison. We've forgotten George Harrison. <laughs> we almost forgot George Harrison. Did I leave out Billy Preston? No. I, I hope I listed him. <laughs> okay. The bit went on long enough where I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> That's amazing work. You've forgotten Billy Preston. We've forgotten Billy Preston. But dude, this is like the closest we've ever gotten to uh, an actual Beatles reunion, like in John's lifetime, don't you think? Yes, this is the most Beatles reunion-y album in a sea of Beatle activity in that year. Because even though Band of the Rum was forthcoming... This is a year that earlier in the year saw Red Rose Speedway and right. Living in the Material World and Mind Games. It is a Renaissance Beatles year, and it all converges on this great, great album. Yeah, man. New York Times called it an instant knockout. Rolling Stone said it was rambling and inconsistent. But in terms of atmosphere, Ringo is the most successful record by an ex-Beatle. It's not polemical and abrasive like Lennon's, harsh and self-pitying like Harrison's, or precious and flimsy like McCartney's, but balanced, airy, and amiable. Who's saying precious and flimsy in the 60s? <laughs> yeah. I think it was Tommy Rowe, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to guess the association. <laughs> I know it's just a bit, but it feels like this needs a correction. Tommy Rowe was known for hits like Sheila and Dizzy. Dizzy. I'm so dizzy, my head is The Association had hit songs like Windy, Never My Love, Along Comes Mary. And then along comes Mary. And she wanna give me kicks, and she wanna say 
but I think what you were going for was Precious and Few by the band Climax. And if I can't find my way back home, it just wouldn't be fair. Precious and Few are the moments we took in but I digress. Now back to the topic at hand with Tony, TJ, and John Record's Landeckers deep dish into the 1973 smash album Ringo. Movies 104.3. Better than Plastic Ono. I mean, say what you want. McCartney was still not being taken super seriously because Band of the Run came after this. But I mean, to call this better than All Things Must Pass and Plastic Ono Band? I mean, what a compliment at that time. It's almost like the good-natured aspect of Ringo recaptured the Beatles zeitgeist in a year that also gave us the Red and Blue albums, by the way. (laughs) BT dubs. BT B- B- dubs like if you like bw3 <laughs> people still call it that we went i don't mean to, to harsh on buffalo wild wings i used to love buffalo wild wings but we went to a local one oh, to yeah? start the new year just we were walking around the mall yeah i've been of, to that one in the mall yes was there thought, like one person working there one person <laughs> that was slammed that's, yes that was my experience and didn't entirely <laughs> seem to care right well i mean and i get it they're yeah. busy we still tip very well but beyond that the food like i've realized every time i go to those places like the chilies there's a chilies not far from me uh, <laughs> uh buffalo wild wings it's like what i call novelty eating but the older i get every meal's like 50 dollars. yeah and right. like you blink and it's like wh- this food is not very good i would rather have taco bell and by the way i love taco bell so i'm not saying that to be taco bell shitty but like i'd rather spend 12 dollars in taco bell than 50 of buffalo big wings <laughs> there you go there you go damn it no i mean i agree like I, I ordered some chicken thing i got and it was like how was this warmed up like someone sat on it is that right you know it just felt like it was just like mealy and it, under the lights i don't know man <laughs> Anyway, go come come at us, I guess. <laughs> because you know where you got to go, TJ, to get a good quality meal? You got to go to the Philippines. And I'm talking about Kenny Rogers Roasters. You got to get out there. Get on the next plane. Kenny's going to be there in person, in a way, in his way, <laughs> coming up through the month so of February. get out of his way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so get, get, get to Singapore, get to Kuala Lumpur, the Philippines, wherever you got to do it. K-R-R. Teacher says, fly southwest to Manila through Baltimore. (laughs) Teacher says, we must eat healthy. Kenny Rogers Roasters. Less fat, less salt, less calories. All right. (laughs) Well, well, let's move on to Ringo. Let's do this Ringo record. I'm not sure I fully agree with the Rolling Stone assessment that it's better than those other three records. No, that's a bit extreme. That's a, a bit, bit extreme. extreme. I think this is Ringo's best album. I'm going to leave it at that as we uh, let's, as we go track by track. All right. So this record kicks off with a song called I'm the Greatest. When I was a little boy Way back home in Liverpool My mama told me I was great 
This song is a funny song. This is a John Lennon written song. It's funny. It's for Ringo. It became for Ringo. Originally, John was inspired by watching the first TV broadcast of Hard Day's Night in the UK. And I don't know if he was like hearkening back to that time when they met Muhammad Ali and they, they posed with those wacky pictures with him. But it's a sarcastic take on the Muhammad Ali line, I'm the greatest. Because it's got, the, you know, I was in the greatest show on earth for what it was worth. <laughs> and the way John delivers that line in the demo speaks so many volumes about his intention. Ringo yeah, just sings it normally. John in the demo speaks it yeah. and takes about a half beat before for what it was worth. I was in the greatest show on earth. I love it, man. I love it. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it, it totally makes sense that uh, it ended up being a Ringo song. And in fact, more uncredited things. Yoko Ono contributed the uh, third verse about wife and kids. She wrote that. I, I forget what the uh, other third verse was, but it was more John. And so she made it for Ringo. This one's gotta be for Ringo. This one's gotta be for Ringo. Take two. He says that on the demo for Nobody Told Me, which is funny. Nice. Tony, you could argue that the band name for this is The Ladders. Oh, yes. Yeah, man. I had heard that the press had dubbed this band The Ladders. It's John on piano, George on guitar, Ringo on drums, and Klaus Vorman on bass. And Billy Preston on organ. We've forgotten Billy Preston. Yeah, that lineup plus Billy Preston. I mean, I think at one point they talked about replacing Paul with Klaus Vorman anyway. They were working with Billy Preston. And I think it was hmm. John who came up with the phrase, we'll call ourselves the ladders. Ah, is that where that comes from? I think so. Incorrect. In 1970, Ringo Starr told Melody Maker magazine, I'll be in a group with John and George and Klaus and call it the Ladders or whatever you want to call it, but I don't think it would be called the Beatles. That's right, I've got facts and a killer Ringo impression. Well, what's interesting, man, is that so Paul had been convicted of growing marijuana plants on his farm, and so he couldn't even get a visa to enter the U.S., that said, if he was, do you think he would have played on this song? What do you think? No way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And only because, you know, based on when they were at the concert for Bangladesh and there was that possibility that John was going to play and Paul was there, too. Yeah. And Paul was also kind of approached about it. And I, I, I read somewhere he was like, yeah, if I had showed up to that and John was there, then it was just going to be this Beatles reunion. And then, you know, it, that's not going to happen. The Beatles reunion is not going to happen. Right. I think it was I don't I don't want to be tricked into a Beatles reunion was kind of think the, ah. the, the prevailing wisdom there. It's almost like when George went to go see one of Paul's shows in 89 or 90 and then went backstage and told Paul the show was too long. <laughs> Great story. George's like, bit long. <laughs> true, true story. That's so good. 
Yeah. And then Paul was like, yeah. And then you played Nanu Nanu on, on Hey Jude every time I said a line. Hey Jude, where near go make it back. Where near near near. So I got him back by doing my own slide solo and now and then. <laughs> Anyway, well, back to I'm the Greatest. It's it's kind of the perfect Ringo song. Only Ringo can get away with a lot of these songs, I think. That's my overall takeaway from this record. I'm going to go a little deeper on this. I totally agree with you, Tony. And this song, even though John wrote it, is Ringo confessional. I mean, I, I feel as if... You know, yes, my name is Billy Shears. And by the way, I love the way that the pepper applause and laughter is edited in. It's so great. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's perfect. The laughter, now I'm only 32. But yeah, I feel as if Ringo singing this is a bit of catharsis for him too. Not maybe as much as early 1970, the B-side to it, Don't Come Easy. Both songs of which are, have been tacked on to the CD reissue of this for years. Right. Um, I do think that even though it's John's words, Ringo singing that has a, has a confessional aspect that I think is a great way to open this record. And to your point, yes, it works way better as a Ringo song than a John song. And it makes you think, what if John had lived and what if John had finished Nobody Told Me for Ringo, as big of a hit as it was for John, maybe Ringo would have had a comeback in the mid 80s. Right. With, with Nobody Told Me. It's true, man. Yeah. 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 It's that crazy game. The what if fucking game. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, it's like watching the crying game. How's that one holding up? <laughs> I know all there is to know about the crying game. Funny the way things go. Never the way you expect. The Crying Game, 1993 Academy Award winner for Best Screenplay. Coming to video July 1st. I like the ending bit, though, with Ringo kind of yelling at the crowd at the end. It puts me in the, in the mind of uh, the end of that ACDC song, Big Balls. Oh, <laughs> he's just yelling like, crabs, crayfish. Everything about that is great. <laughs> You know, Tony, John's playing piano on this, and for as much credit as we give Paul McCartney, the piano player, a lot of the time, George Martin, the piano player, John's right. piano licks on this are really great. They're really fun. They're good, man. John Lennon was a great piano player beyond just the kind of ballady stuff. John could rock the fuck out on piano, too. Yeah, man. Yeah, he had the spirit, right? He knew rock and roll. And it's funny that the the ending bit resembles I Dig Love by George. Yes. A little bit, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I dig love. I dig love. I dig 
And it was totally kind of a coincidence. Like they had started recording without George. And George happened to be in town producing Ravi Shankar, like down the street or whatever. And yeah, John said, get over here and quote, help me find this bridge. I'm just trying to find the bridge. Has anybody seen the bridge? Please. Have you seen the bridge? I ain't seen the bridge. What's that confounded bridge? Tony, the second track is one of those weird tracks that has three names. Depending <laughs> on which pressing of this you have, there's three different possible three. names of this song. Okay, I know of two. Have you seen my baby? Yes. And hold on. Yes. And there are copies that say, and I have one, have you seen my baby parentheses hold on. So yes. there are copies with all three of those iterations floating around. The original pressings of this called the song Hold On. This is a Randy Newman tune. Have you seen my baby? Oh, now oh, no. Tony, as we talk variations, let's be clear. This is not the 1997 Rolling Stones track, Anybody Seen My Baby from Bridges to Babylon. <laughs> Anybody seen? Anybody seen <laughs> yes. Otherwise known as the record with the lion on it. <laughs> I forget. The cat. There's a cat. I don't know. There's some animal on it. <laughs> I remember the talk like, if you like the Stones and the Dust Brothers. You're like, oh. okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, but exactly. what are you giving me? <laughs> yeah, I, this is, one of the cool things about this, this starts off, it's Mark Boland playing guitar. And yeah, man, from T-Rex, it, yeah. Yeah, from T-Rex, and it actually sounds like a BTO song. It opens like a very <laughs> mid-70s kind of classic rock radio tune. For sure. Have you seen my baby on the avenue? You know she's driving me crazy with the funny things you do. i seen it with this album it's engineered so fucking well bill schnee's the engineer this thing right this is one of the best sounding solo beetle records that has ever been pressed i listened on the original apple vinyl and also the the remaster which is beautiful from 2017 both of these sound so good even still yeah yeah i mean it helps that it's, yeah you don't have all that reverb that phil specter like slathered on top of it yeah george produced his second record right wasn't that a self-produced thing? Material world. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, right. So, you know, George is great. He's got a great ear, but, you know, it's not as professionally trained in that department as, you know, these guys. Right. right. So, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's Yeah, it's a nice, it's a big, slick, good sounding record. This is the first song that they actually tracked for it. March 5th, 1973. Sunset Sound in L.A. I mean, it definitely sounds like a Randy Newman song. There's a lot of, it's kind of that one, four, five. I, I hear a piano. I hear it like being composed on a piano. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> well, and playing piano on this is the great New Orleans piano player, James Booker. And he's yeah. kind of doing that Dr. John feel, or maybe I should say Dr. John does a James Booker feel. Ah, but right, I yeah. love those New Orleans licks here. All right. 
it's a great song in the two hole and it's about to get even better but like it's proof that okay it's not just a strong well, you get to Goodnight Vienna which is a bit of a carbon copy of Ringo the next solo Ringo album that starts to feel like a carbon copy and this one captures all of the guest energy and backs it up with great songs. Nothing here feels forced or a stretch. The collaborations with the band and with Mark Bolin and with the other Beatles, like it all sounds very organic to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah, they pull it off. They pull it off. Yeah. This isn't my favorite song. I'm not a big fan of one, four, five exercises. I, I like, know. I, li- I like when things, you know, I, I like the part in the pre-chorus with the guitar lick. I, th- I like that. I like anything that's not like predictable. Yeah, the lyrics are funny. There's a sense of humor about his continually unfaithful baby. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I find it to be, it's a solid number two. It's kind of a middling boogie. It's like, okay, you're, you're keeping us warm. I hope this next one kicks my ass though. And thankfully it does. Yeah. And Tony, if I may put words in your mouth, only mm. words were both <laughs> otherwise engaged. Um <laughs> The performances on this, Ringo and Keltner on drums, Bolden on guitar, we mentioned James Booker on piano, Klaus on bass, Tom Scott doing the horn arrangements, Milt Holland playing percussion. I think one of the things that makes the song good to me is it's performed really well. It doesn't sound like for a one four five song, there's some soul here. It's not by rote. Those piano licks are tasty. The drumming's really good. Like yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it transcends bar band bullshit. It ain't phoned in. I agree. You're right. Right. You're right. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. What's your favorite title? Do you like, have you seen my baby? That's what it's actually called. Or do you like, hold on? Do you like to get it confused with John's hold on? Or do you like it uh, with both? I like hold on because the three best Beatles songs then are called hold on. You get the John hold on. (laughs) And you tell yourself just to hold on. You've got the Ringo hold on. Then you have the Wilson Phillips song, Hold On, that's a Beatles <laughs> banger. Hit it! Ah, yeah, very Beatles. Wow, wow. They should be called <laughs> Wilson Phillips McCartney Lennon. <laughs> Wilson Phillips, Wilson Pickett. One night. <laughs> One night. Two sets of fans walking <laughs> in and out. Well, hey, man, this next one, it's in the three hole. This is a perfect slot for what I think is Ringo's greatest solo song, Photograph. I've heard the song live so many times from all the times I've seen Ringo. And when you hear the song live and he does a beautiful version of it at the concert for George, certainly, where he introduces it by saying, George Harrison co-wrote this, by the way, we should mention. Yeah. Um, and is also obviously playing on it. But as Ringo said, You know, I love George. George loved me. 
And I'd like to do two numbers for you tonight. One, George and I wrote together. It's called Photograph, and uh, the meanings change now, of course. So this song has taken all kinds of meanings through the years, but this original master, Tony, this original recording, has to be one of the finest solo Beatles recordings ever committed to vinyl. It is played exquisitely, the Nicky Hopkins piano bits. When this happens live, it's more of a nostalgic, little more up-tempo, sing-songy thing. This entire production is so beautifully arranged. There is a Phil Spector-esque thing out of George here, but with Klaus on bass, Nicky Hopkins on guitar, George doing the harmonies and playing uh, guitar in this, Ringo and Jim Keltner on drums, the Brothers in Love, the Van Eaton Brothers playing percussion, Bobby Keys on sax. Yeah, tasteful solo on that too, man. Arranged by Jack Nietzsche too, man. The great Jack Nietzsche who does a lot of arrangements on this. Uh, this song, hearing it in the context of the album again and not live and not on blast from your past... This song is exquisite. I don't know how else to put it. I got emotional hearing it. It's just arranged and played as great as any solo Beatles song I think that exists. Yeah, man. You know, it's funny. Like, right when COVID was coming down, it was like the week before everything shut down. And I was actually, I was on a little day trip out to the Santa Barbara Pier. I'm just walking on this goofy pier. And this song comes on. Photograph. Ringo. And it just put me in a really good mood. Like, it felt like, I don't know what is going to happen. This thing sounds scary. I don't know what we're getting into. But this song, it was a real comfort. And it made me just think like, well, I'm going to enjoy this nice sunny day walking on this goofy pier with these dumb, you know, (laughs) tchotchkes and taffy and, you know, the pier thing. Right. And I I dug it, man. It's a great song. I've always liked this song. There's a sadness to it, too. It has that nostalgia to it, but it also has that hangdog Ringo thing. Like, you're not coming back anymore, you know, and you're just looking at this photograph and it's, I don't know. There's something about, like, sad songs that, uh, maybe that's what it is that gets you all feeling things. (laughs) Yeah. I think to an an extent, Tony, I'm with you. And I think to an extent, sad songs say so much. So turn them on. (laughs) Turn on those sad songs. I have the same feeling you felt when you were walking along the pier and hearing this song. As good as this is, the real nostalgia is in the Def Leppard version of this. Yeah, Tony, I, I actually wrote down some people might call this an insult, but you can make a case this is as good as any soft rock tune of the 1970s. This song encompasses hmm. all that makes 70s soft rock great without any of the banality or cliched aspect. You got great players playing a George Harrison song with a Beatles singing. It's top fucking tier, my man. Five fabs. <laughs> well, it's funny you should bring up soft rock because this song was written on a yacht in the south of France, uh, early 71. 
So Ringo is on holiday with Maureen, Patty, and Scylla Black. And they start kind of working on this song. And I guess Scylla hoped to record the song. But I have this quote from Ringo. It's too bloody good for you. I'm having it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, Ringo said to Scylla, it's not for you. (laughs) It's not for you. Now go walk the plank. (laughs) It's not for you. (laughs) Swab the deck, then walk the plank, Scylla. This is my song. (laughs) Get off my yacht. As Harrison Ford said in Air Force One, get off my yacht. There was a man with a yacht. You find this man. Probably by Miggs Field. Uh, What what else can we say about this song? I I, I love it. It's great. Uh, I have written down here, uh, TJ, that the presence of Paul is here, in fact. In that uh, fake ending, one more go around thing he likes to do. Yes, and that will happen as we get to a song on side two as yeah. well. It's a bit long. <laughs> 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 How to make Paul McCartney angry George come back after Paul does a three hour show and goes, That's a bit long, isn't it? <laughs> Thing is, George, he's he's right. He's right. It is long. It doesn't mean it long doesn't equal bad. Long is long. Three hour show, that's a long show. Springsteen, that's a long show. Yes. Doesn't mean it's not good. It means it's long. And if you have to cut something, uh, if I'd been brought in in 89 to the Tripping the Life Fantastic Tour, I'd have told Robbie McIntosh to cut the three-minute Eleanor Rigby guitar solo intro (laughs) that comes out of things we said today. (laughs) All right, back to this album, Tony. Yeah, one of Ringo's biggest hits, and in fact... The only complete Ringo Greatest Hits album came out, I think, in 07 called Photograph. Uh, it was named after the song. It's the only Greatest Hits album because Ringo's got a couple. There's Blast in Your Past and there's Starstruck, which Rhino did to kind of cover some of the 70s albums that didn't sell in right. one compilation. But Photograph has every Ringo hit and light track on it. And it's interesting that it was named after the song. There you go, man. A song good enough to name a compilation. So, hey, what else can you say? Like the last truck on Revolver. File that shit under rock. File that under rock. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, next up, it's another song written by George. This one written solely by George while he was visiting Donovan in Ireland. So, yeah, this has this kind of uh, river dance quality to it. Sunshine Life for Me. Parentheses. Sail Away Raymond. It's a sunshine life for me If I could get away from this cloud over me Seem to just follow me around It's a sunshine life for me If I could get away from this cloud over me Seem to just follow me around Yeah, Raymond. Raymond was a lawyer hired by Alan Klein to represent the Beatles and Apple against Paul McCartney. (laughs) And this is around that time when they were like 
getting rid of Klein and just dissolving Apple and all that and just being done with the whole mess or whatever, right? Just like, can we just be humans again and get out of this litigation shit? So sail away, Raymond. Interesting. Very George. <laughs> may I ask you a question? You may. Do you like this song? No. <laughs> you know what's a surprise? What? I'm surprised you don't like it because everybody loves Sail Away Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say I don't like this song, but I don't find myself clamoring to hear this one. It's not my bag, but it's got great players on it. The guys in the band play on this record. Yeah, that's the big thing about this. I mean, uh, first off, I would say before we get into the players, it's don't tell me that George didn't own wildlife because this is like <laughs> Bip, this one's Bip Bop's cousin. <laughs> Bip Bop, I can get with it has a groove. This one, I don't know. It's just not my thing. I don't, this river dance stuff's not my thing. You mentioned uh, the band being on here. Rick Denko, David Bromberg are playing the fiddle. Levon Helm, a mandolin. Robbie Robertson's playing guitar on this thing. <laughs> I mean, how cool that this album has a weird Beatle band connection. That's really neat. Yeah, with George on guitar and Klaus on the upright bass. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't hear George in the composition. I don't hear any of his like songwriting trademarks. I feel like anyone could have written this song. I don't hear George in it, but... You know, I'm glad that they had fun playing their acoustic guitars and all that. Who am I, you know, who am I to poop on their uh, their little parade there? So who are you, man? Shit! I'm the party pooper. Tony, I would say this song sounds, there's a band song called Rag Mama Rag. This song sounds yes. a little bit like... Rag Mama Rag Let me put it this way. I will take this song over 60% of the songs on Dark Horse. Okay. I, I guess I would not. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, though. I get it. I get it. People like this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it's kind of a sea shanty. Do you remember mm -hmm. the improvised sea shanty structure? Name went to the store and he bought something that's A. The second person sings a thing and then he rhymes with A. The third person sets a thing and sets it up with B. The fourth person has the rhyme and guess what? It fucking rhymes with B. You just learned improv short form. The key board shut itself off again <laughs> the keyboard the keyboard needs to take an improv class the keyboard just keyboard just uh, negated you <laughs> i got a no but no in this but. keyboard all right there we go come back next week for to do run run <laughs> yeah yeah and wait till we do shibuya 
Is that what it was called? <laughs> the warm up? Yeah, the warm up. Shabuya, yeah, yeah. Shabuya, roll call. It's quite your turn. I'm not doing it. Yeah. You're wasting your time. Yeah. No, this doesn't count. Yeah. I will not rhyme. Damn it. Roll call. Well, TJ, side one closes with a song that's held up really well. You're 16. Before we get into this, Tony, remind me, what's the title of the hit from sometime in New York City? (laughs) I think it was uh, You're 16. (laughs) It might be sometime in New York City might be less offensive. (laughs) This one's so tricky because Ringo starts it with a scream. Maybe it's Halloween here. Let's here. Let's defend Ringo. Let's do our best to peace and love. <laughs> re, peace and love. Rewrite history. Yeah. So TJ, as far as I understand it, Ringo screams at the beginning of this song because it's Halloween, and for Halloween, he's being he's being an a febophilia. <laughs> And a feb- <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> and a febophile. <laughs> what? What's that mean? I think that's someone that's uh, specifically into like teenagers. So not a pedophile per se, but <laughs> and a febophile. <laughs> okay. Next on the febophiles. <laughs> Uh, written by the Sherman Brothers, uh, and it was a hit for Johnny Brunette back in 1960. Ooh, you come on like a dream, peaches and cream, lips like strawberry wine. You're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. At the time, Johnny Brunette was in his mid-20s when he sang this, and the Sherman Brothers were in their 30s. Mm. Uh yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to defend this song. I don't. I, I, I mean, it's got it's got a great uh, chord progression, and that's probably why Ringo likes it. It's I, you know, we could also like revisionist history uh, defend Ringo saying like, well, he sang boys, and that, you know, he wasn't t- actually talking about boys. Like he liked the tune, and these are the words. You know, maybe that's where it's coming from. I don't know. Cut to uh, the cover of. <laughs> Ringo the Fourth or whatever, yeah. <laughs> where he's got a seventeen-year-old girl on his. Uh huh. <laughs> so anyway, uh... <laughs> but she was just seventeen. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Edge of seventeen, yeah. Stevie Nicks. Yeah, thanks, Stevie. Just like the wild wing dove sings a song, sounds like she's singing. Uh, the song was featured in American Graffiti, which kind of jump-started the whole 70s nostalgia thing for the 50s. This song went to number one, TJ. It was his second number one solo single back-to-back. I remember that the Beatles said they would never go to America until a song about loving a teen <laughs> made number one. <laughs> well, I mean, this version of the Beatles, so it's him and Klaus and... <laughs> right, the ladders, It's Vinnie Vinny Poncia. Vinny Poncia. Um, yeah, Tony, this is one of the first Ringo songs I loved. The first solo Ringo album I had 
was blast from your past with him right. looking he's all shaky on the cover yeah yeah he looks like he got electrocuted yeah the font even looks electric yes it's a it's a great it's <laughs> maybe maybe the best of any of the mid 70s beatles compo, solo beatle compilations and this song is a highlight of that album as are a few of the other songs from this um yeah when you don't know that it's terrible it's a great song mccartney's playing the mouth harp mouth sacks right <laughs> is what it says yes yeah yeah mouth sack I mean, it sounds like a kazoo. A lot of people suspect it is a kazoo. Most likely purchased at Angus McBean's Novelty Warehouse in Slough. (laughs) By the way, uh, I should say that Glenn Kay uh, informed us that it's actually pronounced Angus McBain. McBain, though, is the uh, Simpsons Schwarzenegger character. Who screams my surname? Oh, yeah. Or in this case, Glendoza! <laughs> Mendoza! That's for you, Glenn. <laughs> for killing our Angus McBean fun. Yeah, thanks to Ruin of the McBit. <laughs> hey, McBean, you keep eating them hot links. You're never going to make it to a pension. Uh, this technically was the biggest hit from this album, Year 16. Uh, what can we say? It was 1973. It's uh, since it hasn't aged well lyrically. He did not do it when we saw him play the Chicago Theater in October. So he didn't. Yeah, he, he didn't. It's, it's part of his tours for a long time. I don't know how long he's dropped it for. I've got a Beatle trivia question for you that I don't know the answer to. And there's a few moments of this happening. Now, Paul and Klaus were not in the studio at the same time. Paul's mouth sax was overdubbed right. on this track. But is this the first time McCartney and Klaus Vorman have appeared on a song together? Oh, um. Wouldn't it be? Yeah, because Klaus didn't really play on Paul's stuff. No. Never. I don't think Klaus is on a solo Paul album. So not in the 70s. No. Nor the 80s or the 90s. Right. Yeah, that's good. I think, yeah. Yeah, that I can't think of anything else offhand. Yeah. When we get to side two, Tony, uh, the song Paul wrote, that's not Paul playing bass, that's Klaus Vorman playing bass while Paul and Linda are singing. So oh. I wonder if Paul and Klaus from the studio at the same time together. Yeah, that's because that was at Abbey Road. Well, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll pick this back up when we do our side two episode next week, huh, man? I'm excited about that. And Tony, excusing for a moment the content of your 16, mm. is this not one of the strongest sides of So I know you don't love uh, the Ray Romano one, but... <laughs> right. And the, uh, and the, the uh, Randy Newman one as much either, yeah. Okay, I I like both. I think because I guess I'm more, what's the word, open. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, I guess that makes me more closed. Uh, I'm definitely not open 24 hours. I need my sleep. Maybe you just need some sleep, TJ, and you'll come to your senses. See, look at this thing. I turned it right around, turned it right around. I'm going to turn it back around on you, Tony, because you know what? I don't even know if I'm in the right key or not, but I want to tell you something real quick, and that's closing time. 
<laughs> Time for medication. That's the key. No, keep going. That's the right key. To somebody's beginning. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs> I know I want to take me home. home. Bar is closing, sir. We step away from the piano. That's the only karaoke to check this shit out. <laughs> sir, I'm trying to mop around you, sir. <laughs> Kindly. Sorry for the year and I call this track my don't work. <laughs> Sorry for the year. <laughs>